Please be seated. Good morning. I don't even know if I have to speak, but I am, after that testimony. I mean, seriously, be on mission with God and serve. Why do we serve? Not because we need you, but you need it. That's why we serve. Not because we need you, because you need it. We need to be a part of God's mission. What an incredible testimony. Thank you, Ronnie and David, for sharing that. Uh, it's a great joy to see Isaac and, and Ronnie setting up chairs and to think in my mind, wow, that's, that's David Amen a couple of years ago doing the same thing. What a, what a, what a beauty. What, what a beautiful thing. I, I need to tell you something that's really important. I am losing my hair. Um, you're probably saying, Matt, that is like a process that you're talking about, but I need to correct you. You have lost it. You're not losing it. You have lost it. A couple of things that I have realized that um, I, I'm, I'm a little upset at like, uh, my, my kids will come in and they'll like take a picture of the crown of everybody's head and they'll say, whose crown is this? And the one with the, the open spot there in the back is, <laughs> guess who? Um, and so if you're me and those that are shorter, you don't know that. But if you're folks like Ryan Simchenko, who's not been a really good friend, has not told me that, Matt, you got a problem up there. Because <laughs> he's taller and he can see what's going on. And so here's the deal. Here's the deal. When, when I was in, when I got to be about 24 years old, my I know that at 24, my dad lost his hair. He had as little hair then as he does right now as an 82-year-old man. So when I got 20, I was like, man, I'm feeling pretty good about myself. I'm going to be able to keep it. Here's my expectation. I felt like I'm going to do good because what they tell you is that, hey, it's on the mother's father's side of things. That's what, um, that's what and he had a head full of hair. Willie Bundy had a head full of do I need to, what's going on? We good? Okay. I'm just, okay. So here's, here, here's what um, I thought. I'm going to be able to keep it. I, am, I have an expectation that that's what's going to happen. And that expectation has proven to be false. Okay? That's, that's false. Here's the deal. You and I go through life with expectations. And sometimes those expectations falls short in what we see and what we get and what happens because God is sovereign is not what we expect. And so sometimes we are confused, we are sad, and quite possibly we're just mad. We have an expectation and the expectation falls really short. And that leaves us going, what in the world's going on? I think the disciples... Jesus' inner circle had an incredible expectation of what the king was coming to do. And what he did in the Sermon of the Mount is turn that completely upside down. And we're going we're gonna to cover that this morning as we look at what we know as the Beatitudes. So how do we posture ourselves to correctly have a correct expectation of what Jesus is asking us to do and what he's getting us ready to be a part of is his kingdom. 
And sometimes we think, well, hey, like the disciples, this is what they expected. Well, this Jesus, I mean, seriously, he was teaching, he was healing, he was casting out demons. I mean, people who never walked were walking, people who never saw were seeing, and people who never who were well were not, well, better. They, they just weren't better. They got better. So people that were not well got better. And so Jesus is doing all of this. He's demonstrating his power. And I think really the disciples are sitting here going, oh, well, if you've done all those things, then here's what you can do. You can free us from this Roman oppression that has enslaved us. That's what you can do because you have so much power. And then Jesus takes that expectation and teaches them over the Sermon of the Mount something radically, radically different. And it is for our good and his glory that he do that. And so parts of the Sermon on the Mount and even the Beatitudes, we sometimes take those and we kind of use them as standalone pieces when they are correctly seen all together. The word Beatitude is defined as divine joy and perfect happiness. The word Beatitude is divine joy or perfect happiness. So we use the, the statements are blessed. You're going to see that word. We're talking about a divine joy and a perfect happiness. Spiritual prosperity is what we are talking about. And so here are these verses that we get to in Matthew chapter 5, verses 2 through 12. And he introduces the Sermon on the Mount with the Beatitudes. And so a couple of things about the Beatitudes. Number one, there are, there's eight of them. There are eight of them. The eighth one takes three verses to define. Second thing is that each of the Beatitudes have a promise that are tied to it. The third thing I want to share with you is that they're progressive in nature. Number eight does not make sense if number one is not submitted to or understood. They are progressive and they build. So I'm going to test you, Northwest Community Church. What does that remind you of in the book of Exodus? Say it with me. The Ten Commandments. Yes, you were exactly right. So there in the uh, Beatitudes is a vertical component that, it, that is first and then a horizontal component. So I'll look at it this way. Here's our outline to help you follow along with where we're going. The outline is this. There is proper alignment. There is proper living. And then we're going to just talk about how we apply the message this morning. So there's proper alignment, proper living, and then there's application. That's what he wants us. That's what I think. Jesus is wanting us to see as we really get into the first thing he talks about in the, the Sermon on the Mount and how he goes through this message, the longest message that Jesus ever preached. It's very interesting, and I thought maybe we would try that today, is that Jesus went in and he sat down and everybody else stood up so they wouldn't fall asleep. So I'm going to bring out a chair and, no, that's good. Okay. You're going to stand up, Right? So, so here's what Jesus said. He's sitting down. He's bringing everybody off to the side. He has his followers in, and he's sitting there, and he says, and he opened his mouth, and this is what he said in regards to proper alignment. Here's what he says. In verse 3, verse 3, it says, blessed. So divine, divine happiness. Okay? 
Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So here they are right from the very beginning, the disciples gathering around, and Jesus is looking at them and telling them that you are divinely joyful and your happiness is perfected when you are poor in spirit. I believe that that shattered everything that they had in mind. I believe it was absolutely eye-opening, stunning for them to hear this. You see, what's going on is the religious scribes and the Pharisees were so arrogant in the religion because they did not have a relationship. And so here is Jesus demonstrating to them that the proper posture that you must see is that you are spiritually bankrupt for before a holy God and you can't do anything about it. And that it is good news for us to see that, to live that, to embrace that. We are spiritually in poverty. We are in spiritual poverty. Here's how the Webster's Dictionary defines poverty. I love this because I think you're going to see a great connection. It says poverty is defined as the state of one with insufficient resources. Poverty is defined as the state of one with insufficient resources. Take that spiritually speaking. Ephesians chapter 2 declares that we are dead outside of Jesus. Ronnie said before Christ, he was a dead man walking and serving, but not for the glory of God. You with me? Okay. All right. I'm not used to this. I like to talk with my hands. I'm going to keep right here. Okay. So here we are. Here, here, here's what he's talking about. He, the first thing that the, none of these make sense if we first don't recognize, again, that we are spiritually bankrupt. We cannot do anything about it. And Jesus is telling them, it is for your joy that you recognize that. It is for your joy that you see that. When you recognize that you're a sinner and you cannot fix it, and that is the beginning of what he wants those who are going to go into the kingdom and live for the kingdom. He wants us first and foremost to see that. That is our posture. We are spiritually bankrupt. And then he says, well, then what takes place? This is a continuum. It's progression. So now that we recognize we're bankrupt spiritually, then what takes place? Verse 4, which is the second beatitude, says this. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now, most of the time, you've probably heard that in a funeral situation where you are just reading that verse in and of itself. Certainly those who mourn for the death of someone can be comforted by the God of creation. But in the context of the way this was written, it's that here's the fact. You're spiritually bankrupt. There's nothing you can do about it, which leads you to a mourning for your own personal sin. It leads us to grieve and mourn that we are sinners by nature and by choice. And that causes a fracture in our relationship with God. We cannot know God when that sin is in place. It causes us to grieve our sin and it causes us to repent of our sin. And in that morning, here's the promise. They shall be comforted. 
So when we take a look at our sin, it's not when we come to Christ that we're guilty and we're in shame. We recognize that we have a father who in all ways knows how we are. He understands. He came. He's, he's God in the flesh. He sympathizes with us. He understands our grief. And then we, we come. And so we're not winking or hiding our sin. I don't, I don't know um, you probably have a bunch of stories like I do about kids and, and trying to understand sin. But do you? So this is a common thing in our house where um, probably a weekly thing. You know, I'm, I'm diabetic, and sometimes my blood sugar goes low, and sometimes it goes really low. And when it goes really low, you need to get out of my way because I am going to eat and eat everything. Okay? Whether it's 10 o'clock at night Two in the morning, that just sometimes happens, right? That's just, that's just what I'm dealing with. So the kids are growing up, and they're seeing sometimes dad eating a cupcake or eating the icing off of a cupcake because he's in trouble, and they're watching me, and they're like, oh, I want one of those. And I'm like, my sugar is low. And so I remember, I think it was Andrew. He's not here. He's in college. So he can, I could say that about him, and I didn't ask. I can see Andrew eating something he shouldn't be eating. And I was like, what are you doing? He looked at me as like a three-year-old said, my blood sugar's low. (laughs) Well played, son, well played. Excusing, right? Right. So so here's what Jesus is telling us to do. You are spiritually bankrupt. And what happens when you recognize that, what, what comes to place is, You mourn and grieve your sin that does what? Doesn't cause you to run away or live in shame, but it causes you to repent. And when we do that, what does it say? You shall be comforted. That's a promise to you and me. And it is beautiful. Then he keeps coming down here um, and and we, 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 we take a look. And I think what we have to ask is this. We have to ask this question, and here I pose it to you, rhetorical. Is what sin in your life right now are you winking at and not mourning? What sin are you shameful of and guilty about, and instead of mourning and repenting, you're holding on and running away as opposed to running to? The perfect happiness, the the divine joy and perfect happiness is found when we come to him and say, I am a sinner. I am mourning my sin and I'm repenting of my sin. And I want to thank you, God, for that promise that you're going to comfort me. That's that's what he's saying. Okay, so we keep going. Let's go to the next one, number five, or excuse me, verse five. So progression here, here is the next one. It falls in line. It says, blessed are the meek, okay? For they shall inherit the earth. The meekness is a now a submission to God's will. It's a submission to do what God asked us to do. How, who is the example for this? It's always King Jesus because he's the king of the kingdom. He wants to be the king of our life. And so what did Jesus do? He said he was meek. It's all over the scripture. So what did Jesus do? He said, not my will, but 
thy will be done. He demonstrated this meekness by submitting his will to the Father. And so there we see that we are blessed. We have divine joy and, and, and per perfect happiness when we understand that meekness is a posture and a character trait of those that are following after Jesus, those who are disciples, who are making disciples. We are imitators of Jesus because he was the ultimate example of meekness. Now, number six. It says in number six this. Verse, I'm sorry, not number six, verse six. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. I, I love what I learned about this verse uh, this week. It's a, what we have learned already, that we're, we're poor spiritually, we mourn and repent, and we are meek. And then what it comes down to is that we, are, we hunger and thirst for righteousness. And here's the deal. I want to read to you 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. I don't have it on the screen. You can take notes of it. But here's what it says about righteousness. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to wisdom from God. This is what he became. This is Jesus, who became righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So I'm going to go back to verse 6, and I'm going to read it again for you. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for Jesus. Because he is righteousness. They hunger and thirst for Jesus, for they shall be satisfied. So spiritually bankrupt. Then we mourn and grieve and repent. And then we come down here and we are living a meek. We're, sacrificing, we're giving up our will for his will. And then we come in and we say we hunger and we thirst for him. It's a passion to seek him. It's a passion to live for him. It's a deep and driving passion. As I'm sitting there and studying that verse this week, here's where my thoughts went, and here's where I pray that yours will go as well. First for yourself, do you hunger and thirst for Jesus? Are you hungry for him? Does your life imitate that? Does your life demonstrate that? And here's what I did. This coming weekend is metamorphosis for our kid, Meta. It's Meta 2022 at Apex Baptist Church. We've got several kids that are going. And I'm sitting there uh, this morning at McDonald's, okay, reviewing my message with my good friend Carl Reynolds, who's over on the other side, and he's studying for how to teach fifth graders. So Carl is over on one side of McDonald's learning how to teach fifth graders, and I'm in here just reviewing about what we're going to talk about in here. And I'm sitting there, and what overwhelmed me was a prayer for our students this week that what they would understand, that they would develop and that they would submit and have a hunger and a thirst for King Jesus because it is only him who satisfies. And I'm asking you this week to be praying for them each and every day this week. I mean, there, there, are, there are people in this church that gave their life to Jesus because of this weekend. And so I'm, I'm asking that the Lord would, would develop in them a hunger and a thirst because what? See, here's what happens. Our students and even us, we have FOMO, fear of missing out. We think what we're missing out on will satisfy us. We think this is gonna satisfy us or this many likes are gonna satisfy us or this video or that or whatever the case may be. And it's not, here he says right here, listen, when you are postured in a way 
to see that you're spiritually bankrupt, to mourn and grieve over your sin, to live a life of meekness. And then what happens is you hunger and thirst of him because there is no one like him. I don't ever want us to get over the awe that we get to call on the God of the universe and we get to call him father. I don't want us to get over that awe that we get to call on God and we get to call him father and we pray to him and he hears us. He sees us. Exodus, he saw their groaning. He heard their cries. That's who we get to call out to. That's who we, that's who we serve. That's who we serve. Jesus, you know, in John chapter, uh, John chapter four and John chapter six, Jesus used some statements. He was with the woman at the well who came to draw water. He says, if you knew the water that I give you, you will never thirst again. You will be satisfied. He also said about himself, I am the bread of life. He who eats of this will never go hungry. What is he saying? You're going to be satisfied. You're not going to be satisfied with popularity. You're not going to be satisfied with more money or a bigger house. You're going to be satisfied with a hunger and a thirst for me. I went to a conference this week, and, and, and I got a little frustrated at one point. I was with about 15 people. We were at a conference, and, and I was just going around, and, and everybody was like, well, yeah, we've, you know, we just built a brand new building, and, and you know, it's, it's 60,000 square feet. You're like, God has really blessed us. And as I'm sitting here and I'm thinking what true blessing really is all about, Jesus is turning that expectation upside down. And I believe that he's doing this for you and I in this message series because of what we're getting ready to embark on. What does a building look like on that ground? What does it look like to truly be blessed by the king of creation? So, Look at verse, um, so, so what, what we've just discovered is we've looked at, hey, here's the first four, which talks about being properly aligned, properly aligned, okay? And then he says, this is what's going to take place. When you live this way, when you are that, when you are, when you are spiritually bankrupt and you recognize that, when, when, when you are grieving or mourning over your sin, when you are meek, and when we look at um, uh, coming to God with a thirst and a hunger for him, then what it translates to, what does it translate to? Proper living. So the character is, the fruit of the character is what we see next. Um, verse seven, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. We know that mercy is, is um, uh, what God, God is holding back something that we deserve. God is holding back his wrath. He's holding it back. And so when we live in such a way, what he's saying is, I want you to demonstrate the mercy. I'm not giving you what you deserve. I am holding that back. And so here's what he's telling you. I want you to do that as well. I want, I want you to live in that way. So let me ask you a question right now. In the closest relationship that you have right now, are you demonstrating a biblical view of mercy to those that are closest to you right now. Because God is, but are we? So it translates for us to give those to each other. Verse eight, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So here's what takes place. We're living in such a place that what's on the inside has been radically transformed. 
and it comes out. There's a purity that we have. Proverbs, excuse me, Psalm 37, 4 says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. That's not your desires. So we live in such a way where we have divine joy and divine and, 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 and beautiful happiness. All of that happens when we're living in such a way where we recognize these first four, we're properly aligned before God, and then we come and we see what takes place is that we have a purity of heart. Our motivation is for the king. Here's a paraphrase for you of that one. Blessed are those who have been purified from the inside out, being made clean and holy, for they will see God. They will see God. Number nine. <laughs> I keep doing that. Verse nine. Hang with me. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are the peacemaker. The Bible teaches us that as much as it is up to us, be at peace with all people. What we are demonstrating is that since we are reconciled to God, that he is a peaceful, that he gives peace, peace that overcomes the world. Verse, um, uh, another way to say this is blessed are those who have been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ and bring the same, ble- the same message of reconciliation to others. Things can go sideways really quick in all relationships. The posture that we have and the fruit of being in this relationship with King Jesus and representing the kingdom is understanding that as much as up to us, we do everything we can to be at peace with all people. That's, that's what he's endorsed. That's what he's talking about. The last one here is verse 10 through 12. And it takes three verses to explain this one. Here's what it says. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So it could stand alone, but no, he explains it a little bit more. He goes into verse 11. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Verse 12, rejoice and be glad. Wait a second. You just talked about persecution, people reviling us in a false way, and you want us to rejoice. And that's exactly what he's saying. Rejoice and be glad. For your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus is saying there's nothing new about what's going on. Jeremiah is lamenting. I mean, the prophets, they persecuted them. They persecuted Paul. We know all the stories. They persecuted Peter. He was crucified upside down. So Christ is sitting here and he's saying this to us in John 16, 33. So he says, I have said these things to you that in me, you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. You got that? In this world, you will have tribulation. I say amen. That's true. Yep. I've experienced it. You've experienced it. Here's the, here's the better. Here's the next part. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Hold on to it. Hold on to that Northwest. He's declaring right now that there is a divine joy and there is perfect happiness. There is spiritual prosperity when we recognize that there are people that do not believe that the way that we will, we believe and you will be persecuted. And it's quite possible right now for us not to experience what our brothers and sisters over in Afghanistan or Iraq, or Iran, who have experienced, or even in China, haven't even experienced. 
was in a truck yesterday. Dan had a flat tire. I'm in a tow truck with a tow truck driver driving down Highway 55. I need you to know. I invited him to church, but I didn't tell him about Jesus. We've been texting. He wants a good review on Yelp. (laughs) I'm frustrated at that, to be honest with you. I invited him to church. I didn't tell him about the king. Stayed up late last night about that one. Just frustrated. Here's the deal. We often say this. Man, we just want to be the hands and feet of Jesus. We want to be the hands and the feet of Jesus. We want to serve like Jesus served. I need to ask you something. There are a couple of marks on his hands. And there are some marks on his feet. Let us not forget the cost of doing all we can to herald this great name and live in the kingdom and for the kingdom and because of the king. And let us let the king sit in his chair. It's his chair. It's no one else's chair. It's not your chair. It's his. And we have to ask him and keep him there. And the, t- and, and the, 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 these, these beatitudes are helping us to understand how to properly posture ourselves in worship and in action to do just that. Well, what are we, what are we gonna do with our message? Let's just sort of review really quick. Proper alignment involves poor, being poor in spirit, mourning and grieving our sin, repenting of that. Proper alignment involves having a submission to God's will over being meek. Proper alignment involves a hunger and a thirst for righteousness, or said another way, a hunger and a thirst for Jesus. And then we have proper living, that we're living a merciful life, that we are pure in heart because out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So when the purity of our heart is, taking, is transformed by the king, then that is going to come out. And then we are peacemakers and we will be persecuted. So how do we apply this? Um, Uh, This week in staff meeting, we used a term, and it's called DTR, and some in staff did not know what that term means. Maybe you don't either. But DTR means define the relationship. So when I was in middle school, we had to do this because didn't quite know what she was thinking. I didn't know what I was thinking, and so there was kind of like, we need to have a DTR. And then you get the infamous, let's just be friends. Or it's not you, it's, it's me. Or if you're going to church camp and the Lord moves and I made a decision not to date for a year and so we need to take a break. Maybe that hits you in whatever way it hits you. But what we're talking about is that there is a defining the relationship and here I believe what is so important for us, listen to me, so important for us to right now is for us to have a DTR with our relationship with King Jesus. This, the Beatitudes are clearly about the gospel and God is doing a massive purge 
I believe, in evangelical Christianity to wake us up from apathy and spiritual laziness to say, are you with me or not? Are you with me or not? And I want you to know that your joy is not found in your circumstances or your possessions or your 401k or your house or two, three, four, five cars or the other house. It's not found in any of those things. And there is a time for us to spiritually sit down and say, where are you in my life? Where am I with you? And I think it's important and it's time for us to evaluate where we are with Jesus. And I would ask you this right now. Do you personally have a relationship with Jesus or not? And if you don't, I would ask you to repent and believe for the kingdom of God is near. Because you will be satisfied. And that and only that is where our joy is found. And nothing else but him and him alone. That's where we have divine joy. That's where we have perfected happiness. It is in King Jesus. It is for his kingdom. And that and that alone is the gospel. And that's what the Beatitudes are about. So let us posture ourselves vertically and live horizontally for the King of kings and Lord of lords. And when we recognize and we say things like, I just want to be the hands and feet of Jesus, let's not forget those scars in his hands and the scars in his feet. Let us not forget the cost. Northwest, I love you. I want us to be on mission together for the glory of God for as long as he leaves us here. And let's do this together. Let's encourage each other to live for him and live what is truly a blessed life. And that's found only in Jesus, not anything else. I love you guys. Let's pray. Lord, I love you. I thank you for the privilege that it is to be able to teach this morning. And I thank you for the Sermon on the Mount. I thank you for Jesus breaking down those words to us, the longest message that's recorded in Scripture and uh, by Christ. And Lord, I am grateful for what you are going to teach us. Lord, let us not take these statements as standalone statements. Let us take them as a whole. And thank you for your grace when we mess up. Thank you for your grace that saves us. Thank you for um, the gift that you are to us. Thank you for that when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, you woke us up. God, if there's anyone in here right now that does not know you, I mean, Ronnie served with you for a long time and did not know you. And so today, God, let your Holy Spirit move in whatever life you are trying to wake up. And I pray for a great morning and submission to you and you alone. And God, if we are thirsting and hungry and trying to see things that are not going to fill us, we repent of that. And we ask you to move in all of our hearts. I specifically ask you to be with our youth this, this weekend and asking you to do a supernatural work through Jason Gaston, 
through Matt Trebbing, through all of those that are involved in this weekend coming up. I pray for a movement of your spirit like no other. And I pray, Lord, that if those that are not saved in the youth, that they would get saved. Pray that they would wake up to who you are. They would serve you. They would love you. They would find their hope only in you. Be with us. Lead us. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.